You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. I just wanted to share with you as we get started five things that you didn't know about Daylight Saving Time, okay? The correct term, and I just learned this this year, I'm a slow learner, is daylight saving, not savings, as most people incorrectly say. Daylight saving uh, became a federal law in 1966 with only two states who don't observe it, Hawaii and Arizona, and a third state that only started observing it in 2006, and that's Indiana, where I grew up in, okay? Uh, 26 states want to make daylight saving time year-round. I'd be for that. Uh, Florida uh, could be the first. I used to think it was six months and six months, but it's eight months uh, of the year is daylight time and four months standard time. And then adults 65 and older, and I'm just going by what I've been told. I'm not in that category, but 65 and older may struggle with the time change more than others. And I wanted to share with you the occupation that hates the spring daylight saving time the most is a church pastor. Okay, so um, because it's, it's that weekend, you got to work harder to keep people with you because you know they had a little less sleep than normal. Well, if you weren't here at the beginning of our time, we showed an encouraging video celebrating the results of last weekend, uh, Feed the Hungry, where we had 434 people work in one of the three shifts, and we packed 71,064 meals to send to third world countries like Haiti or El Salvador, and praise God. Praise God for that, and thank you those of you who participated in that. It was a lot of fun, and... Um, And for those of you who say, hey, I'd like to make a difference in those countries in more ways than just donating an hour, well, we're going to have a meeting uh, this afternoon for those that are interested in maybe going on a mission trip to El Salvador that I'm planning to be a part of in July. So if you're interested in that, we've got a lot more information and details about that, and that'll be at 1 p.m. today here in the cafe. Well, with that said, last week we kicked off a message series entitled The Foolishness of God, in which we'll be developing over the next few weeks leading up to Easter. Now, the focus of this series is is to revisit the very foundation of our faith as a church and the very foundation of our faith as individual followers of Jesus. It's a focus that as we acknowledged last week on, as we look at the very foundational teachings of Christianity, that we talked about how that these teachings speak hope, wisdom, and power into the lives of the people that will combine faith with that message. And yet, for those who have not yet developed faith, it might appear at times to be a foolish message. During this series, we're going to be examining primarily a a fascinating letter found in the Bible that was originally written by an early Christian leader named Paul, whom we call the Apostle Paul. And he wrote to a four-year-old church in Corinth, Greece, that he had helped plant. And now he's writing back to them 
after they've had about four years of living out their faith. We, we, you can find this letter in, in a letter called 1 Corinthians. There's actually two letters that Paul wrote to the Corinth church. We introduced this subject last week, and we looked at the first chapter. And we're, just as review of what we talked about last week, let's read a paragraph from the second chapter of this book, which I think will help not only review last week, but propel us into what we're going to talk about today. In verse 13 of chapter 2, Paul writes these words. When you tell these things, we, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's word to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them. And they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. I like how the author points out here that the words of this letter did not originate with him, but the Spirit of God. You see, he's saying that, hey, I am writing on behalf of the Holy Spirit. I'm I'm writing what the Spirit has inspired me to put down. You see, I believe with all of my heart that when we read from the Bible, that we're not just reading the words of men or the words of human beings that wrote down things years ago. We're not reading the philosophies of human. But instead, I believe that as I read from the Bible and as I read from the Bible to you on the weekends, that that we are reading the very written Word of God. And that because of that, we need to give it a respect and a, uh, and a, uh, a hearing that is worthy of listening to God's Word. As I shared last week, I became convinced of this many years ago when I f- first began to read the Bible in a very intentional way. I became convinced then, and I'm still convinced today, that the the wisdom and power of these words ring true to our lives, whether we lived in the first century or whether we live in the 21st century. And I believe that if anyone will read these words and read the Bible with an open heart and with an open hearing, with an open mind, they will see the power and the wisdom of the Bible. Now, I recognize that as Paul writes here that many individuals in our world, maybe some of you even have wrestled with this. Maybe you have a relative or good friend that that wrestles and says, oh, the teachings of the Bible sound foolish to me. Yet what I've experienced in my life and what I've witnessed in countless lives as I've seen personally people read Scripture maybe for the first time and see how God's Word speaks into their life and rings true as maybe they've never heard truth before. You see, I believe truly that this is God's Word and that there's power and wisdom found in it. Now, here's the question for everyone that's here this weekend. Are you giving the Bible an honest hearing? And will you give the Bible an honest reading, an honest hearing 
in your life. Maybe you came today because someone dragged you here or pleaded with you to come. And, and maybe you came with skepticism in your heart. So I want to ask you, will you give the Bible a hearing to, to test whether or not you will? I want to give you a challenge this Easter. And I'd like to give this challenge to everyone that's here. I'm going to call it my 21-day Easter challenge. I want to challenge you to read one particular book of the Bible over the next 21 days. I think it's a significant book. I think it's a book that will really speak truth into our lives in a way that's very powerful. It's the, the book of the Gospel of John. It's the, if you pick up one of the free New Testaments out in the lobby, it's the fourth book. John's gospel is, is written from a perspective of, of one of Jesus' apostles that was very close to him. In fact, he's the one that Jesus handpicked to take care of his mother Mary after he left this earth. And John wrote uh, uh, an insight into Jesus' life that, that just is it's moving. And if you've never read it, I want to encourage you over the next 21 days, read one chapter every day. And you'll read the 21st chapter about the resurrected Jesus on Easter Sunday. I believe that if we will all take that challenge, I believe this Easter, God's word will ring into our lives and the power and the wisdom of it in a way that will be very, very meaningful. I hope you'll take that challenge. I've already been following a reading plan, but I'm going to take the challenge. Because I want to discover afresh the power and the simplicity and the beauty and the wisdom of Jesus and his teaching. Now, embedded in the Bible passage that we just read from 1 Corinthians 2, we we read a warning that some won't accept spiritual truth because, as Paul wrote, they're simply not spiritual. Or as we've shared before, uh, in an essence, they're spiritually dead. Now, as we keep reading in 1 Corinthians, as we get into chapter 3, we'll see that Paul describes various stages of spiritual development, or as we've shared before and emphasized as a church, various stages of growth as a disciple. Now, here at Southwest, we emphasize regularly our mission as a church, which is to be intentional about following Jesus and making disciples. And yet we want to make sure that we also unpack what does it mean to grow as a disciple. Now, as we just read, Paul begins with a description of those who are spiritually dead. And yet for those who are willing to give the Word of God an honest hearing, then God will bring about a newness, a freshness. For those who are willing to to let God open their heart and, and speak into their life, they will learn the response that God invites every person to make to his message of good news, a response that includes believing, a response that includes having a change of heart. The Bible describes that as repentance even coming to a point where you confess your faith, verbally identifying with Jesus, and then embracing a beautiful teaching in the Bible, that of baptism, so that you can truly begin that new life in Christ, the Holy Spirit. Jesus described that as being born again. In chapter 3, Paul describes this second stage of becoming a spiritual infant 
passing from spiritual death to spiritual infancy. And then that, as you continue to grow, you grow to become a spiritual child. Let's read about this in 1 Corinthians 3 when we read these words in verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Paulus, aren't you acting like people of the world? Paul says the challenge that he faced with the Christians in Corinth is that he couldn't address them as spiritually mature, but he had to recognize that they were still spiritual infants. He describes that as belonging to this world. Some translations even read worldly or of the flesh. He said he, as a result, he needed to continue to feed them spiritual milk. It's important for us to understand that our stage of spiritual development, wherever you might fall on that, that continuum, has nothing to do with how long you have been attending church or how long you've even been a Christian. The question is not how long you've been a Christian. The question is, How long have you been stuck where you're at? You sense that Paul is frustrated with those that he's writing because he says, hey, you've been a Christian, some of you, for four years now, but you're still a spiritual infant. My fear is that some people can be attending church for 40 years and still be a spiritual infant. Now, he goes on to talk about some of the, the, the dangers of being a spiritual infant. He says, you need the milk of God's word all over again and not solid food. Now, think about the application of that from an example from human development. You know, I, in my family of origin, I'm the youngest of three children. And some of you might think, well, that explains a lot, okay? But, uh, but my mom is, is 89 years young. And she's still going strong, for which I'm very grateful. I try to call her uh, four or five times a week, not, not quite every day, but I try to call her. My goal uh, every time I call her is to make her laugh because, you know, she spends a lot of time at home. She still lives at home by herself, and, and so some days she doesn't have a lot of interaction, and so I think, okay, she needs to laugh. Now, different than some of you, she laughs at my jokes, okay, and and. The thing of it is, too, you know, the, the bittersweet of it is she's kind of losing her memory, so I can tell her the same joke over and over again. But, but she still laughs, and, and I'm grateful that we can have that connection. And yet something that used to really irritate me about my mom is that for years, and even to this day when I go back to Indiana and spend time with her, and maybe we're at a restaurant, we run into somebody she knows, she always says, this is my baby. And I think, really, Mom? Okay. But, you know, I've, I've accepted that after all these years, I'm, I'm still her baby. Now, interestingly enough, history repeated itself, and Jane and I had 
two daughters and a son. And so our son is our baby, but our baby is now 26 years old. He's married and he has a baby of his own. Our granddaughter is nine months old. She'll be nine months old this week, in fact, tomorrow. And, and although she's still a baby, she's transitioning. You know, she's starting to eat, eat solid food, and that's normal for this part of her human development. And yet, it would be concerning if my wife and I were still spoon-feeding our 26-year-old son. You'd say, that's not right, Okay. But you see, then when we make the transition to our spiritual development, the question that I have is, how many of us still have to be spoon-fed? How many of us still really live our lives through the week, really pretty much the way we want to live, and really don't give God much thought, and then we come in on the weekends and think, okay, somebody needs to feed me. Now, don't get me wrong, I understand that Part of my role is to teach and preach God's Word and to make sure that that there's substance taught and that I'm sharing God's Word in such a way that you can be fed spiritually. But yet, I also understand that my role is not just to spoon-feed you, but also to make sure that I am instilling in you uh, uh, the commitment to feed yourself. That's one of the reasons why we emphasize so much around here small groups, because we want people to be getting in the Word on their own. That's one of the reasons why I give you challenges from time to time, like the 21-day Easter challenge I'm giving out this weekend, because I want to make sure that I am instilling in this church the commitment to feed yourself, to take it upon yourself to grow spiritually, not to remain a spiritual infant. Now, he also points out here in this text that that spiritual immaturity is evident in their focus on personalities. Instead of being focused on the one that they're truly following, Jesus, he says, you've become too focused on maybe who baptized you or, or which teacher really influenced you, whether it would be Paul or Apollos or Peter. Now, my concern is in our 21st century world, Instead of really growing spiritually and and being more in tune with Jesus and being more uh, aware of his teachings and how they apply to our life, we just satisfied to maybe listen to the most recent, you know, popular teacher, whether it be Andy Stanley or Rick Warren or John Piper or N.T. Wright. Now, don't get me wrong. I I think there's, there's, it's a good thing to be humble and be willing to learn from others, but Are you simply following personalities? Or are you allowing God's word to abide in your heart and your life every day and being changed and transformed by it? Are you simply remaining a spiritual babe? Or are you growing in your faith? Now, as we learn to feed ourselves and learn to get connected to others in small groups and ministries within church, then we transition from a spiritual infant to a spiritual child. And yet the goal is to continue to grow, not to be self-centered as a child often is, but to become a spiritual young adult where you become others-centered, learning how God can work through you to help others. That's why I think last Sunday fired me up so much. 
that we had approximately the same number of people over at the Y on Sunday afternoon serving and being the hands and feet of Jesus as we had in one of our in any of our three worship gatherings over the weekend. You see, that was encouraging that we're not just learning about Jesus, but we're seeking to be his hands and feet in the world. That's good. That's good. That's transitioning from being a spiritual child to a spiritual young adult. So where are you at in this spiritual development continuum? Are you a spiritual child who's simply beginning to get connected to others? Are you a spiritual young adult who's learning to serve others and realizing the church doesn't simply exist for you, but you're called to serve others? Are you beginning to learn that as a, as a growing Christian that you've been called to influence others in an intentional way? That's becoming a spiritual parent where you say, I want to invest in the lives of others to mentor them, to help them grow. Maybe even take on that challenge of being a small group leader so that others can grow and develop and get connected with others in the faith. So where are you? And are you willing to take the next step in the discipleship journey. Now, in the rest of our time together, we want to look at how this chapter describes God's plan for our spiritual growth. Now, again, for some, this is an absurd plan. For others, it's incredibly good news. The good news that God has a plan for our faith development. He has a plan for us to grow as disciples of Jesus. One of the absurdities of this plan is that that we all have a part to play. In fact, his plan, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, God's plan involves using imperfect, flawed people to help other imperfect, flawed people grow. That's the plan God has given us. But you know what? As As a very imperfect, flawed individual, I'm glad that God has chosen this plan. I'm glad I get to participate, and so do you. Now, it's important for us to understand our part or our role in this plan. And for those of you who are willing to be used by God to mentor and influence others, let's talk first of all about the leader's role because that's how Paul continues his thought here in 1 Corinthians 3. In verse 5, he says, After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work or the role the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. Now, although Paul didn't want the the people of Corinth to be focused on personalities, he didn't want them to be focused simply on their leaders, he did say leaders had an important role. You see, it's God's plan to work through one person to help another person grow. That's why I totally reject this idea that I hear too often. Well, my, my Christianity or my, my idea of spiritual growth is just me and God out in the woods or me and God at some nature reserve on a hike, and that's where I really grow spiritually. I, I hear people say that from time to time. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a place for solitude. There's times for being alone with God. I get that. But God's God's plan involves being a part of a community. God's plan involves one person 
investing and loving and serving and teaching and encouraging another person. And here Paul and Apollos had a significant role. Paul says, yes, we're part of that process, but he says we're simply servants, not to be the focus. And I like the word that he uses there, servants. It's the same Greek root word that we use where we get the word deacon. They were servant leaders, simply called to point other people to the focus of their faith, and that's Jesus. Now, later, Paul describes more fully the way he understands his role in the church. He writes in verse 10, Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now, others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be careful, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we've already have, Jesus Christ. I love this verse, these two verses. And it's a very important passage for me to remember and to be reminded of often. You see, in my role as a leader within the church, as someone who stands up here regularly and teaches and preaches, it's important that that I remember that we need to be careful as a church that we don't build this church or we don't seek to build this church based on personalities or upon programs, but that instead we carefully build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. This is one of the reasons why we emphasize here the reading and teaching of, from Scripture, as we want to make sure that we carefully build upon God's Word, and specifically the person and teaching of Jesus Christ. You see, I'm getting that point in my life after being in church leadership for more than 30 years, and I love it. I love what God's called me to do. It's, just, it's a privilege to serve in this way. And yet, I think about the past 30 years. You know, this past weekend when we had the father-daughter dance, my daughter, Anna, who's now 30, came for the father-daughter dance with her daughter. And and she says often, she says, you know, do you know how old I feel, Dad, that I'm 30 years old? I said, no, do you know how old I feel that I have a 30-year-old daughter? I mean, how'd that happen? 30 years have passed so quickly. And I know the next 10 or 15 years are going to pass even more quickly. And we're going to blink, and there's going to be different people serving in different roles of leadership within this church. There's going to be somebody someday that will be up here preaching regularly, and it won't be me, and I know that. But the important thing is that we are building a church that, that lasts, that we're building a church that's built upon the proper foundation. You see, there's a lot of work and there's a lot of sacrifice, a lot of effort that's been made to to see us get to where we're at as a church right now. And and yet, I I just, I know in my heart, I, I don't want it to just be just a season. I want to be a part of something that's built to last. I want to be a part of something to know that 50 years from now, even if I'm no longer around, 50 years from now, that Southwest Church is continuing to have an impact and an influence throughout Southwest Ohio. If Jesus hasn't come back yet, that, that, that 
the bridges will be being built so that more and more people will be introduced to Jesus so they can have a hope really worth living for. But for that to happen, we've got to make sure that that we're building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and him alone. Now, let's turn to God's role in this. That's that's the leader's role is to make sure that the focus is on Jesus. What's God's role? We we go back and read the three verses we skipped. In verse 7, it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. One of the things that I love and yet am continually humbled by is that as I have the opportunity to teach and counsel people from God's Word is that I have the opportunity to see over and over again that it's not me, it's not the person who's doing the planting, or it's not even the person that comes along and does some watering that changes heart. It's God that changes hearts. It's God that brings about conviction. It's God that opens hearts to help them see what they've never seen before. I like the emphasis in verse 9 when Paul reminds us we're simply God's workers, God's field, God's building. We're just called to be instruments in God's hand. And then we get to have a front row of having the privilege of seeing God open heart after heart. It's God that brings about growth. It's God that brings about change in the life of the Christian. And you know what? That takes pressure off us. That's what I realize. You know, sometimes I, I go home after a weekend and I just tell my wife, okay, that, that sermon bombed, okay? I really missed the mark on that one. You don't know how many times I've done that. And, and, and my wife, I, I love her so much, and she, she constantly reminds me, she says, did you read from the Bible? Did you read God's word this week? And I said, yes, I did. She said, well, God was working. You see, that's where our confidence needs to be. It's God that, that opens hearts. It, it's God's word that gets in there and, and convicts people. It's God's word that brings about life change. And we simply are called to be those instruments in his hand. Maybe you got to family member or friend that, that you love dearly and you want them to become a Christian. And maybe you've been putting too much pressure on yourself to, that thinking it's all up to you to be clever or smart how you deliver it. Just keep sharing what God means to you. Keep sharing verses that impact you. And wait, just watch God work. God's the one that changes people. We just get to be a part of it. And then finally, what's your role in this process? Let's keep reading in verse 16. Paul writes, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. I like this passage, but I had to wrestle with it. I had to to dig into it and read what some other people had to say about it because I was trying to make sense. What does it mean to be God's temple? Here's what I came up with. 
In the Old Testament, before Jesus came to the earth, the people of God would go to the temple to worship and serve God. In the New Testament, Jesus invites us to be the temple. Jesus invites us to be a part of what God wants to do. He invites us to experience what it means to be the community of God. Now, this is a huge paradigm shift. And I fear that far too many people in New Testament times in the 21st century world still have the mentality, I've got to go to the temple. I've got to go to church. And Jesus came and brought a whole new way of thinking. He says, no, don't go to church. Be the church. Be the temple of God. Allow God to to reign and, and dwell in you so that he can work through you. That's why I think I got so excited last weekend being over there packing and, and you know, being a part of food. By the way, I was on an assembly line that, that I must have been talking too much because they kept giving me different jobs because I think I was slowing down the, the process. But, but, you know, I just love being the church and being the hands and feet of Jesus. And, and I thought, you know, we just need to keep looking for more and more ways. You see, this isn't the temple. This is just a meeting where... The temple of God gathers. Last Sunday afternoon, the temple of God moved over the YMCA. And we were the hands and feet of Jesus. I love that. Have you just been stuck on going to church? Why not accept the call to be the church? Paul continues in verse 18. He says, stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you're wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. Paul writes to them, and he's writing to us, stop deceiving yourselves. Look for the simplicity of God's plan to work. When we all accept that we all have a role to play in this process, Yes, understanding that God's plan will seem absurd to some, but Paul reminds them and he reminds us actually of the wisdom of this world is actually foolishness to God. You see, the world's got it upside down. And the beauty of God's plan is is we accept the role of being intentional in teaching and serving others. When we learn to trust and watch what God is doing, And how God wants to work in our lives and through us to to impact others. And yet, we are all called to recognize that we do have a role and responsibility in this process. One of my favorite verses in 1 and 2 Corinthians is not 1 Corinthians 3.18, but 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is how it reads. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. What do you see? What's our role in this process? Our role here is called to see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Some translations read there, Our role is to behold. I love that word, behold. When John the Baptist came on the scene, what did he say? Behold the Lamb of God. Look to him. That's where you need to focus. Look at Jesus. 
You see, sometimes we're too focused on ourselves or personalities or our problems. And God's saying, if you'll just get your focus on Jesus, the, the, the foundation for all this, then just watch what I want to do in your life. Just what I, watch what I want to do through you to impact others. But get your eyes off yourself, get your eyes off your problem, and get your eyes on my son because he's the one that's going to change you through his spirit. Now, the promise of this passage is gone, but it's not gone. But the promise of this passage is that if we will behold Christ, that God's spirit will, in a miraculous way, transform us and change us to become more and more like him. It's a miracle, but it's a miracle we can embrace. I see a similar miracle in something else God instituted, and that's marriage. In marriage, I've shared this before, but if you look closely at a couple that have been married for for decades, you notice that they even look alike. They've learned to mimic each other's expressions. You know, my wife and I are coming up on 35 years, and, and just, you know, recently she got new frames for her glasses, and I needed new lenses, and so I got new frames, and I got home, and I realized I picked frames just like hers, and I thought, oh, my, here it is. We're becoming, you know, we're becoming one. We're becoming, now that's good news for me that I'm going to look more like her. It's bad news for her, but, you know, but, but the truth of it is, there, I think there's something about beholding the one you love across the breakfast table and the dinner table and when you go for walks, that over time you start mimicking them. The same is true in Christ. When we behold him, God's spirit changes us to become more like him. That's the beauty of what we observe here every weekend and what we call communion. You see, in communion, we behold the one that we're following. We behold the one that is the foundation for what we're doing as a church. This is how Paul described it in Corinthians, and I wanted to share this passage with you before we pass the trays and take communion together today. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, it says, For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Skipping down a verse, that is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. Why is it that some remain spiritual infants? Because they don't spend that time examining themselves and beholding Christ. Let's allow this to be a time that we behold the one we follow, Jesus. Behold his love. As we take the bread, as we take the cup, let's, let's marvel at his love. But also, we're told to examine ourselves. Let's not be deceived. Let's examine, where am I at? Have I remained a spiritual infant for far too long? 
Let's allow this time to be a time of examination and a time of resolve to truly, truly take that next step in our spiritual journey. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you. Thank you that you knew that in our busyness, in our preoccupation with self and problems and struggles, that we needed to regularly come back and behold the one that we follow, Jesus. Help us during this time of communion just marvel at how awesome he is. Help us as we take the bread, realize that he was flesh and he endured all the temptations we do, but he never sinned. Help us as we take the cup, be reminded of his sacrificial love. And help us obey what this scripture we just read says. And help us examine ourselves and ask ourselves, are we doing our part in your plan? Help us, Father, to be honest with you. And help this be a time of renewal and recommitment and refocusing on the one that we're called to behold. It's in his name we pray. Thank you for listening to Southwest Church Teaching Ministries. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus and making disciples. Please join us for one of our three weekly gatherings, Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11.15 p.m.